Of the Remnant Call, and I'm excited because I have a special guest. I have the actual brother Frank. Well, that would be my father here with me tonight to talk about uh, what's going on. One thing about my dad is he is an expert in the economy, economics, uh, financial planning, things like that. He understands the insurance world. And um, Dad is going to explain some things tonight to give us some insight uh, of what's really going on. And um, I also would like to really mention something that I believe is going to not only bless us, but awaken us to what is happening at this moment. So I'm going to start here by bringing Dad on. Dad, are you here with me? Yes, I am, Frank. All right, Dad, I'm going to ask that you could open up with a word of prayer for us, and let's get into this. Okay. Dear Father... We have so many things we could be doing this evening, but we are here, Lord, on your behalf. We want to lift you up, and we want to do that by helping people to see that there is more hope out there Mm. than at many times than they realize. But in the midst of this hope, we have to realize that there are hard times, and they will come. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit and guide us in all that we say and do for you, Lord, to lift you up. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, I'm just blessed to have my dad here tonight and excited because it was my father probably uh, 30-some years ago, maybe about around 1984, 85. Dad, I remember out in the driveway up in West Virginia and Morgantown area, Westover, um, sitting me down in the car and telling me about the soon coming of Jesus and how important that was. Now, Dad had had a conversion in his own life, and uh, he was very serious and we were talking earlier, and we're going to get into it tonight, that it's more serious. And even though Dad truly believed back then at the nearness of Jesus, that the Bible is actually more alive and real now than back then. It was alive, but it's clearer now. The picture is being painted in such a way that we're like, oh, I can't believe how late the hour is. And you look back over time, and even though it seems so close, now we realize the literalness of God's word that as much as we've always believed in the literalness, we can now see it brighter than ever. And so I want to mention a few things here as we get started here. And, you know, we know from the word of God that there is a time, a season of war. That is coming at the end. Jesus is coming back as a mighty warrior. He's not a fuzzy little teddy bear. He's not a little cute, cuddly thing that they try to paint him as in the churches, but he is coming back as a warrior. And the Bible is very clear about this time in the end and about the chaos. It's also clear about how God's people will shine in the darkest hours of this earth's history. But it was something that Brother Demetri Dudeman said that I wanted to share tonight in his dream that he had in 1993 on a call to war. And this is what it says. Cease heading the way you have been going and turn to me, says the Lord. Lucifer, who is armed for war on his horse, is coming with a powerful army behind him to take vengeance against the children of God. And we know that's biblical, that the devil is loosed, right? Like a roaring, excuse me, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that's going to happen. But listen to what it continues to say here. The day is close, a day of terror when Lucifer will try to annihilate all those that live a clean life. A day of pain and terror is near. If you could see what is being prepared and what will happen, you would surely quit doing everything you know in your heart to be wrong and would seek peace more than ever. Be prepared, be holy, and don't give in to the temptations and impulses of the enemy. Seek the Lord your God with all your heart. Those who will be clean, those who will be holy, I will not forget. I will save them. Says the Lord, the armies of the devil are coming with great fury against those who worship me and truly seek me. Pray that I may give you strength so that before the storm comes, I may save you and give you the joy. Folks, this is something I've been talking about for years. If we only understood 
if we could only see what's going on in the invisible realm, if we only knew what they were planning, the attacks of the enemy right now. Imagine this. I mean, imagine if you knew that in two weeks that they were going to fire missiles at the United States of America and we were going to go up in a nuclear holocaust. Imagine that you had no way out of here, then you were going to be here. I'll guarantee you, you would seek the Lord with all of your heart. There would be no stopping. There would be nobody could get in your way because you would understand the hour and the moment and how near it is. And so here we are living in a time where I believe that we are this close to absolute turmoil, but people are still walking around thinking it's okay to live a half-hearted life. And here God has warned us through his word. He's warned us through his servants. He's warned us through brother people like Brother Demetri Dudeman, uh, Brother Benjamin, other people that have been here on the programs about how living for the Lord is so important right now that we must stop and cease this living for the world. Listen, I I understand that God is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness, and I believe he will forgive and no matter what you have done, if you will cry out to him. But if you willingly decide that you think that it's okay to live for the world and live for God at the same time, you have deceived yourself. The Lord is holy and he demands holiness. He doesn't demand you to do it in your flesh. He demands by the spirit and by his power that through him, you can live holy. Do we, will we mess up? Will we make mistakes? Yes, absolutely. But here the Lord is reminding us again that if you could just understand the hour that we're in, you would stop doing these things. And folks, I'll guarantee you, if you found out that Jesus was coming in one month, I'll promise you, you would live like you have never lived for him in your life. But you know what? That would be too late because we don't want to squander the opportunity we have right now to work for the Lord while it is daylight because the night will come when no man can work. And so I am believing that God is desiring us to wake up, to get our eyes upon him and to get ready for what is coming and to not forget that we have a mission to do. Now, here's the concern that I have, and this is why I've got dad in here tonight to talk with us a little bit about it. We, as a business owner myself, I understand the dangers of the economics that we are in right now. It was going great for some years during the Trump presidency, and I'm not saying he was, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to tout him or anything right now. I'm just saying it was going great. The economy is growing, and that sustained for quite a period of time. Even through the pandemic, there were still some good things for certain businesses, but there were also a lot of businesses that unfortunately folded up and closed. Yes, we had to lose, unfortunately, customers sometimes in the business because of the economics. Now, though, with the inflation that's happening, the continued rising of prices, we are facing something new. The thing is, is that it begins to happen slowly for a while, and then all of a sudden we wake up one day and we realize it is now too far. And if you don't understand who is running this country, it's not the figurehead you see. It is Lucifer. He is the one that is behind this. He is the one that is pushing these people. And so that is what's going on. And so, Dad, I had a question tonight, something you and I were talking about earlier. I keep hearing so often about that the economy could collapse. And I believe that. But, Dad, why are we so close right now? What is the major things that are we are facing as a body of, of people here in the United States? And what does that mean if the United States collapses? There are so many people surrounding us in this country who do not seem to be aware of how serious our situation is. Yes, they hear about wars. They hear about bombings over in the, uh, the Ukraine and in, in Russia. They hear about, um, about economic problems, but life goes on day to day as usual. That is not uncommon whenever the whenever a group of people is being faced by a serious situation that a lot of people just continue on. None of us want to believe that things are about to fall apart. We build a life. We like our life, many of us. It's comfortable to us. Nobody wants to look at it. But yes, it is very fragile. It has been fragile in our economy. In the finances have been for 
a long, long time. And there's so much that could be talked about, but that's not really the total point of our, our talking tonight, Frank. So I just want to summarize it very simply. First of all, one of the major underpinnings in our economy's disastrous situation is the existence of derivatives. Let me quickly explain that very simply. This will not be a, 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 an exhaustive explanation at all. But let's say, for instance, that you go out and you buy some stock in, let's say, Holiday Inn. Now, what is the actual value that you have just purchased? Well, you own, in theory and really, truly, a little piece of Holiday Inn. You buy a share, you have a little piece. Maybe it just means the doorknob on the bathroom and one of the units. But that you have, you have a, 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 an actual asset that has some value. When, you, when a derivative is written, and this is written in the financial world in the, in the millions and billions and even trillions of dollars, uh, when a derivative is written, it's like a bet. Let's say I come to you, Frank, and I say, well, I think that the interest rates are going to go up three points within the next six months. And you say, no, I don't think so. I think they're probably going to drop down a half point. We say, well, I tell you what, let's sign an agreement and then we'll each, we'll each have some money at risk and whoever's right gets the other guy's money. Okay, you follow me? Yeah. So what is the asset behind that bet? Nothing. It's a piece of paper. It has an agreement. It, whoever the loser is has to come up with some, with some cash, with some money and to pay the other one off. Well, what they do to fill in the, the, um, the emptiness in a portfolio of investments where they're not performing all that well is they make these bets and they put them on the books as assets, but they're not really hard assets. They're just empty bets. So that's a derivative. If the world were to realize how many of these derivatives have lost the majority of their value, we would have uh, literally, I don't mean just figuratively, but literally an overnight collapse of our world financial system. Now, if you can hold on to this for a moment, it's, those derivatives are not valued in the just millions or in the billions or in the trillions. The uh, estimated value of those exceeds two quadrillion. Now remember, a quadrillion is a thousand trillions. And just to keep that in perspective, and then we'll move off of this subject, off of this part. If, if you were to, you can smile a little bit on this one. If you were to go to your wife or your husband and say, honey, you can spend a million dollars every single day 365 days a year, how long would it take to spend a trillion dollars, a million a day? Well, it would take 2,470 years, almost 500 years before Christ was born, to spend a trillion dollars. And we're talking about quadrillions, which are a thousand trillions. This is a lot of money. So if it would come to be known how little value they have left, because so many of these de derivatives have failed to produce what the people that bought them wanted to. The, some of them are worth only 10 cents on the dollar for what they paid for. So that is a huge emptiness undergirding our economic system. It's the largest emptiness that there is out there. So basically what you're saying is we're built upon a giant bed of nothing. Yes. Right now our economy is. To a large degree. Okay, so how does inflation right now that we're seeing that's continuing to increase, what does that do to this derivative problem? Well, the inflation, uh, obviously, inflation seems like it's just rising prices. In reality, inflation, inflation is where the asset that you're going to pay for something, your money, your currency, is actually being devalued. So you have to have more dollars to buy the same thing. Even if the seller did not up the price, you've got to have more dollars to come up to value to buy what you wanted to. Now, inflation is something that, and I'll just say this, we don't have time to explain it, but inflation is created by central banks. It is created by central banks. When you deposit a dollar in the bank, the bank is allowed to 
to loan out $9 on the one that you deposited. And then when they loan out $9, what happens if all of the, if that depositor showed up one day and wanted his money back right now? Well, you need to actually, if you were dealing with real, uh, the, the real value and all that's been, that has happened there, you'd need to find all those other $9 and pull them back in so that you could give him $1 and keep the, the record sheet straight. Well, that doesn't happen. We're talking about millions and millions of transactions, but every time you deposited, they could loan out nine. So they have vastly overextended the va supposed value that they're loaning out. They loan money that they don't really have. And so what happens is you have, every time one of these loans was made with money they didn't really have, it devalued the value of all of the dollars. That's making sense. Mm -hmm. So all dollars are worth so much less than they used to be, so it takes more of them to get the thing that you want to buy. That is inflation, and it's created by our central banks. Yeah. So basically, right now, we are, we, are, we are inflating a hollow economy that's built upon a bets of nothing. Almost nothing. Almost nothing. Yes, no tangible assets. So there comes a point where you can only continue to bet for so long before someone comes to collect. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's right. So what is what is potentially right now, seeing what's going on and the way that they're making the law, what is a potential trigger points you see right now that could trigger this collapse? Well, many derivatives, the majority of derivatives, are based upon interest rates. And let me just simply say that as the interest rates are increased, uh, for the most are, uh, for the most part, the the ten year Treasury note. But as the interest rates are increased, the value of investments as a whole, because of this inflationary effect, they decrease. They decrease, and we are at a point right now where literally, in reality, any day now. But I'm not saying it's within the next few days. I don't know. Um, any day now, we could have an event which could declare insolvency in a large way for banks, for investment houses, um, on this derivatives market, which is so huge, we could have a collapse occur because the real value became known, which is really, really very little. So... It, you know, remember they say that the dollars are worth something because they're backed by the full faith and credit of the country. Well, what happens when people lose the faith in the dollar? Mm. What happens when they go to the bank and they want to withdraw, say, $3,000, and the bank says, we're only allowed to give you $700 uh, per day now? Why? Well, we just we have a limitation on cash problem is that they've supposedly got so much money, but there isn't any of it there because they've loaned out more than they really have. It's all paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, so what the reason folks, and I don't want, we're not trying to make this a technical investment program or anything like that, or economics on, on a, because I asked dad to please keep this at a, at a very low level because I didn't, he can get too technical and get above my head and, and anybody else's. So I asked him to keep it, but there's a reason behind this because dad, what you've helped to me to understand and for hopefully the people to understand is how hollow this is. We know that we're overinflated in debt, but when you understand that folks, our entire economy is built on nothing, it's built, it's so hollow. Now from my side, dad, from a cybersecurity side, I see the dangers. My biggest fear right now um, from the standpoint of what's going on in the business world is a cyber attack. Okay. So when Russia attacked Ukraine, a lot of people don't realize, but you can look, look that they took down their defenses by releasing a cyber attack against it. Okay. And folks, it's nothing. I have witnessed a cyber attack against a large company. Uh, seven locations was huge around here. We used to do a lot of work for them. Uh, years ago, uh, they had gone with some consultants that were helping them do some things in compliance with HIPAA and different things like that. We were not really working for them much anymore. We just kind of did some break fix things here and there when they needed it. Uh, the consultants were dad moving them out to the cloud on some stuff. And in the midst of it, they got hit with a cybersecurity ransomware attack. It encrypted every 
single thing at seven locations. Mm. Not their physical printers, but I mean everything else. They paid the ransom too. Mm. It was terrible. I And I went in. They called us in, of course, in a panic. And we went in there and helped them to find it. I found the scripts. They were Russian-based. Um uh, there was a forensic investigation and everything. And, folks, it was such an eye-opener to realize that this particular agency, yes, it was tough. But if they were to hit a gas company, oil companies, food distributions, I'll tell you right now, a lot of people don't know. We do pol- support for uh, poultry industry. You would not believe the amount of cyber attacks debt. One of our large customers the other day just like this signed another grand a month this that and the other just in keep increasing security the beginning of next year we're putting in more tools and more tools because the poultry industry the bit meat industries are under such threat because if they can cut the food supply off, which goes along with the whole mark of the beast, right? Yes. You know, that, that we know that if, see, the devil is smart. He knows if he can control the belly, he can control the food supply, then he can get people to bow to his ways and accept his marks and what, you know, and all these things that he's going on. And so we see these going on in, in, in right now. And you remember when the gas company was hit a little while ago, the devastation, that was one pipeline there, one, one company that was hit. If folks, if they were to hit the power grid and i'm telling you right now they would take down this country so fast because you cannot restart power plants quickly it is a very delicate process a nuclear power plant you can actually melt down and have another chernobyl but even a regular power plant is such a delicate process to bring back up that's why power companies are such high security but the truth is it's not that honestly it's the way these people work folks it's not the outside do they always break in they come from the inside they target people at their homes they target people in what they're doing and so i tell you i've talked about doing a program before here on cybersecurity. i'll probably do it in the future but listen folks keep yourself secure don't go places you shouldn't when you're checking into your bank you're doing multi-factor go into a private browser use brave uh, as a great browser in private mode when you're logging in you can use different vpns to keep yourself safe but when you log in with that multi-factor authentication into a private location and then you you're in a private browser it will kill and 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 kill all the cookies because if you say stay signed in when you do a multi-factor it drops a cookie you're not in a private browser they come and grab that cookie. They can go to any machine out there in the world. They can drop that cookie in without your password. Now they have access to all your stuff. Then they can send for a permanent cookie, which we call the magic token. And now they've got access into you. And they, folks, I'm telling you, it is a dangerous world. And dad, I see right. this from my side. Knowing now that your side and I realize how quickly within seconds we could be in the stone age with literally in a, a couple of weeks. Let me say something here. You've talked about this, and as true as it is, as true as it is, uh, that this could happen and happen so fast and to such a large degree, uh, there are still the majority of people out there will say something like this. Well, um, you know, I'm not in the stock market anymore. I've got my money in cash in the bank, so I, I think I'll be all right. Let me ask you this. If you have, let's say, $50,000 in the bank in cash, but today your bank doesn't open, and in fact, because of this cyber attack, the banks don't open, at that moment, how much money do you have? Zero. Okay. Now, when will you be able to have some money? Maybe never. When will you need it? Now. And in the words of a, a man who I respect significantly, he makes this statement, and it's so very true. When people lose everything, they lose it, and they come apart at the seams. Now, remember when Elijah was fleeing, and he went into the wilderness, who supported him? God. And, and how did he support him? He provided for him. Okay. He gave him, but he didn't have any stuff. He, 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 as I understand from reading the scripture, probably all that he had was the clothes on his back, did not even have food with him. Am I saying it's not, you don't have to worry about having these things? No. But when you don't have them and you have presented how risky it is, and it's true, and it's not even the whole story, but when you don't have anything, what do you have? That's mm, good to think about. As a believer, what do you have? We have the Lord. Okay. If, if it is possible 
to have nothing because it has vanished. And yet you still have the Lord. Is it possible that you can have the most powerful thing in our universe and still feel like you're losing it? Mm. Does it happen to people? Do they forget who they who ha- they can? It tra- happened to Elijah, if I remember correctly. At one point, he's asking for the Lord. He was slaying the prophets of Baal, calling down fire from heaven. The next minute, he was crying out the Lord to take his life. So, yes, it can even happen to the best of them. Yeah. What what we don't what we want to happen is that there are massive amounts of risk out there. I mean, it is so great that we really don't even need to talk about it. You can turn on anybody anywhere pretty much and hear it, but it's so real that nobody wants to believe it. Well, let me say this to you. Now, this is not going to come from scripture, but you know, a, a lot of truths come from uh, don't come from being said directly, word by word, but they come out of understanding the inference of what is said. You remember that the scriptures say, uh, the Lord said, I will do nothing except I first reveal it through my servants, the prophets. Well, I personally believe that. Uh, The word of God. Absolutely. But the inference here, if you stop and think about it, is that the Lord, I believe, this is me speaking, I believe that Jesus holds Satan to the same standard that he cannot do anything unless he first puts it out there for people who have eyes to see and ears to hear to know about it. Just like he said he wouldn't do anything without revealing it through his servants, the prophets. In other words, the Lord doesn't want to take us by surprise. In fact, things he doesn't show us right now are for our own good because usually he knows that we need to build our faith step by step and he'll reveal as we need it. So going with that point I've made, if we can go with the assumption for the moment that it's correct, what has happened? Think about it. Before you you explain, let me make sure that this is clear. Okay. So what you're saying is that the Lord is, he will do nothing that unless he first reveals it to his servants of prophets, but you're saying the devil also has prophets. God holds him to that and standard, And you believe too. God holds the devil to the same exact standard that he yeah. has to reveal it, and that's why we're seeing everything so publicly that they're basically telling us that we're going to hell in a handbasket yeah. right now publicly. They're, they're literally telling us yeah. we're on the verge of nuclear war. Well, many years ago, many years ago, I mean, I'm, I don't know how many, but I asked people, you know, have you seen any of these movies in Hollywood, you know, about disasters, about what's coming, about about spiritualism and so on and so on and so forth? And they would say, oh, yeah, I have. I said, well, do you find that those things are actually happening that they were making movies about? Yes. The things that the scriptures talk about will happen in the last days. Hollywood has been making movies about them for years. And those those messages that come out of Hollywood are so uh, unholy that they are not coming from God. Uh, not all of them, but I mean a lot of them. They are coming from some other spirit, some other entity. I believe that they are satanically backed. And so when we say this, you know, what is happening today? Well, we used to never see the, 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 the dark side of things talking so much about what they're going to do. Nowadays, they tell you what they're going to do. They tell you that they're going to take down the banking system. They tell you that they're going to cut off the food supply. They t- I believe that we are close to the end. This is not the only reason, but Satan is getting it all out there so he can then pull the trigger. Yeah, and it seems like it, um, that the dev- they are just now no longer hiding anything. And this is what blows my mind, is that the pastors, many pastors for the most part, don't even talk about this in their churches. I know that. I've mentioned it before on the Remnant Call. I have a little thing with a lot of my buddies um, and people I know around whenever they go to their local uh, church that they worship at, I off, I ask them, what did your pastor speak about? It's mm-hmm. just, it's something I do all the time. Dad, you know, you know me yeah. and um, I'm always quizzing and things like that. And I want to know, and the problem is folks that they're not talking about it yet. 
the the devil himself is trying to tell us that he wants to wreak havoc on everything. God has been warning us for thousands of years out of his word. Now the enemy's even saying it, and yet people still refuse to believe. And if you try to say something, you're called a fear monger. You know, you're called a doomsday uh, prophet. You know, that's what my, you know, I've often been called by some, a particular family member, you know, the prophet of doom. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why they say it's good. He has a podcast, POD, prophet of doom cast. And so uh, it's not that it's that I care about people and I want them to know what's going on. And so right now I agree, dad, that there are, the devil is trying to tell us what is going on in people. The Lord's warned us and the devil's telling us we're going to take this place down. That's right. That's right. And uh, a lot of people will say, well, how do you know this is coming? You know, they've been saying forever that uh, that uh, Jesus will be coming back. I mean, I, I've heard it since I was a child, and my parents heard it since they were a child, and my grandparents heard it since they were a child. And I don't know about all of them back there, but I know they probably did too. How do you know that that time is here? Well, you know, let me say this very simply without going into a lot of texts, but there are many texts in Scripture that would, if we follow the line of reasoning when they were given, that we can see that it's coming to fruition now. But just think about this to start with. And you may have heard this other places. You probably have. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, or when Jesus Christ comes back. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Lot, yes. Like I said, I believe the Lord holds Satan to the same standard, and he is putting it out there wholesale. He's putting out there the 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 debauchery that was going on in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. He is putting the the he's headlining that debauchery to such a degree that it's like it's being shoved into people, almost pushing them down in a manner. And we are having an uprising of parents who cannot stand the thought of their children being exposed to the stuff we hear about. I mean, I, I'm shocked. I hear things, and, and I, I'm not surprised when I read the Scripture, but when I think about how I was raised and how life was, I'm just I'm just still shocked and sickened. And, and it, it just goes on and on. So that alone tells me that we never saw that before. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we didn't. Yeah, there were bits and pieces, but it wasn't overwhelming. No, it wasn't wholesale. Do you, I can remember, folks, when seeing somebody that was a homosexual, at least the area I was from, and, you know, more rural, more conservative, it was almost like, like, um, seeing something that you only saw on or heard about on a television or through the news. And it was almost like going to, I'm not trying to downplay this, but it was almost like going to a, a, a circus or something or something you'd never seen before. And they're like, Ooh, look, it's, it's one, cause we never had it happen. Hardly. Yes. Were there gay people? Were there people in that would live in that lifestyle? Absolutely. But it was not as prevalent Pornography was not the same. It there were things out there that were happening in the world that were not happening like they are today. The thing that's bothering me, Dad, because they felt they were wrong, but they still there they they wanted to participate in it, but they didn't want anybody to know about it. Today, it's like, hey, man, all the covers off. Look at me. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. It truly is disgusting, and. And and Dad, it's not only just is it disgusting, but it's disgusting how the new form of religion has this half-hearted, half-walking that I don't need to really live for the Lord anymore. That holiness is just something that Bible thumpers talk about, and and we can do whatever we want to do because once I'm saved, I'm always saved, and I can live like the devil no matter what. And that couldn't be farther. I mean, Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Meaning, if you love me, do the things I tell you to do because they're good for you. They'll keep you safe. Yes. But the holy things of God, like in Babylon, are people think that they can bring them out and party with them. I'd like to say something here. Yeah. There, there is a large cadre of people who, throughout this world, not just in, in the United States, who feel that the Bible is the word of a dictatorial overlord 
We call him God. And he just likes to control people. I want to state a a way of presenting what the purpose of the Bible. I like to present the Bible this way. When you hear the gospel, very simply and straightforward, as uh, primarily as Paul spoke it in the scriptures, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your family. And when I went through the scriptures to find out if the gospel had anything else that was an essential part, I found out it was only about what Jesus did. That's it. Yes. Now, maybe Paul was wrong. Maybe he goofed it up. Maybe he didn't write it down right. I don't think that's the case. After, after believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving salvation, as the Bible says, if you endure to the end, if you stick with him, then the the rest of what the scripture is talking about is discipleship, being like Jesus. But that's not all. It also is a field manual, I'm speaking in military terms, a field manual to safely traverse, to go through the minefield of life. And in, if you do not have the field manual, it can be easy to step on a landmine and be blown up. And those landmines are pitfalls that Satan, the enemy, puts in front of us. If we can realize that it's that way, it's not a dictatorial overlord who is wanting to tell us what to do and control us. He's wanting to save us. But, see, he, there's, there's one element that we forget a lot of times. One of God's mandates is that you are free to choose in everything until the end. You are free to choose. So he puts it out there for you, but you're always free. People say they want freedom. They don't want to be controlled. He doesn't control you. He gives you total freedom. Amen. And that'll preach. And I appreciate that. He's absolutely, because if God doesn't give the freedom, then he can't be a God of love because love has to be freely chosen. And it's so important. And so, folks, what we're trying to really get at here on this program tonight is that we are so close. The things of God are holy. And understanding just how close the time it is, and if we could really get that glimpse, that should change our way of life. Now, honestly, the best way is, is that it changes our life no matter whether it's the end of times or not, because Christ is worth it no matter what we're time we're living in. Amen. What Jesus did alone, the sacrifice he made, enduring the agonies of hell so that we could be saved as a gift that we were as a threat laid up for him, right? He endured the sufferings of a cross. He saw us as a prize, as a gift, something that he was willing to go all the way and suffer even tears unto blood. This is what our God did. And so that alone, whether heaven, whether, heaven, whether you know, whether eternity was our reward, right, Dad? Yes. It shouldn't matter. We would we should serve Christ simply because he is worth it. But God is so good. That he says, you know what? I've got something stored up from you. Yes. And when Paul got a glimpse, he said, it's not even lawful for me to even talk about it because it was so holy that his natural lips couldn't speak it in a holy enough manner. And therefore, he was careful on his even descriptions of the third heaven. You may have heard of the phrase before, carrot and stick. You know, you you want the horse to go this direction, so you'd have a stick, string hanging down, a carrot from it, and you put it out in front of him, reach over the horse, put it out in front of him, and he'll go for the carrot. So he's going to go the way you hold it. It's leading. Well, for many time, uh, for for much of my life, uh, I I I ask myself. Uh, do people just want salvation because they get all this good stuff God talks about? No, no, no. They, he, he, he wants us to desire his reward. And here's what I would like to say that the Lord wants. He created us because he wanted family. 
um, it, it's spread throughout the word. It doesn't come out the way I'm saying it directly, but he wanted family. He wanted a family to share with because he, he speaks so much of love. If you go to Corinthians and you look at the definition of love, it's, it's fabulous. Love is the most abused word in the English language. I wrote a paper on that, but anyway, um, but he wanted a family. He wanted a family to love and to love him back. And a lot of people will say, well, it's God. He don't need love. Uh, uh, you're, you're, you're wrong because the, the God in the Bible, that's not what it says, that he doesn't need love. It says he is love. And he wanted a family, but he did not want, but, but he made a promise. Let me back up here for a second. He made a promise to us in, this, in the scriptures that there would come a day that there would be no more pain or suffering or sorrow, no more tears. How could he promise that if he keeps us free? Well, he had to allow this world to occur. If he was ever going to get a family, he had to allow it to happen. We got to be free. We have to be free to choose the downward path if we want to, or to choose the upward, which he was rooting for. But he keeps us free. He doesn't allow anybody to take that freedom with us. And his objective is to come to that point in time where we all have seen the outcome. Even the angels in heaven have finally seen where it all goes. And he is able, he will have a group of people who, who their mind has been clarified. And now they can see clearly, not dimly. And now they choose him. And this ugly mess won't ever rear up again, even though we're free. Mm. He tells us that. That's what he wants. So why, the reason we're talking about this tonight is there's a disaster here, but the Lord is out there rooting for everybody who will say, me, I want that. I want to learn more about Jesus. Come on, come on. I mean, he will gather people so fast it'll make your head spin for those who want to, but it's a free choice. And so this is why we're talking about the disasters so that we'll take attention and say, well, maybe I need to check out this God and see what he's really like. Amen. You know, it's interesting that you say that. And folks, he does, God loves family. He designed us to see the picture on earth as a husband and a wife and children of the way we were designed after the image of God. We were created in his image. He designs us to work in the family unit as the Lord is. And if you look even into the divine counsel that God's in, even the Lord knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the right decisions to make. But even with that, you see in Second Kings, when, uh, when Micaiah and Jehoshaphat and Ahab were there, and Micaiah talks about that there was a council in heaven, right? God was sitting in the midst of the gods, right? It says the divine beings up there and they were taking out how Ahab would die. And one person was coming and saying, well, maybe it was this way or well, maybe we should do this. And then, and then God was actually listening to their suggestions. And then was one comes out, I'll yes. be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. You remember that there's the four, the prophets that were lying and saying, go up and prosper and all these things like that. And that's when Jehoshaphat said, Hey, isn't there somebody here that hears from Yahweh? And so, you know, the, but it just goes to show that God loves people. He deals with people. And yes, even though he knows things and he knows what to do, he allows people to have input and to be a part of his kingdom. Yes. Now, the cool thing is, is that when he is in control of you, your input will be according to his will. Yes. See, I used to believe that God will give us the desire of our hearts, right? That's what the psalm said. But it, that's not what it means. He does, it's not that he gives you whatever your heart desires. It means he gives you the desires that are actually in your heart. He puts his desire in your heart. But what if you desire the things of this world? What do you get? You get the things of this world. Because he says he rewards with you with the fruit of your thoughts. And if that's what you want, that's what you can have. Now, I, I, I want to pull back to something real quick about Brother Dimitri Dudeman said here and this vision he had on a call to war. Because we talked about, you know, those that will follow that the... the the whole entire thing, folks, of being a, a watchman on the wall or where I'm, I'm not saying I'm a watchman. I'm just I am called. We're all called to watch, really, technically. But we are called to warn. And if someone hears the warning and they turn from it, then God will forgive and not hold it to their account. 
But if you once knew, and no then matter what they've done, yeah. Then if, but if you, the opposite is, if you once knew, and then you decide to turn, it can turn for the bad too. Now here's the re- here's some more of what he said. Remember, he said that those he said uh, that truly seek me, pray, and I may give you the strength. And before the storm comes, I may save you and give you the joy. That's where I left off. Here's the next part: those that live in defilement, that meditate upon evil things. That's the key thing here. Mm-hmm. Listen closely: those that meditate upon evil things will have no escape. They will not have my protection. I will destroy Babylon, says the Lord, because of the wickedness and blasphemy of this country, not only here, but when wherever there is sin, I will punish it harshly. Only the righteous will I save some even out of the midst of the fire. And that goes right along with the in the book of Jude. Some save with compassion through grace, others save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garment spotted, the Bible talks mm-hmm. about. And so, folks, God is trying. And what Brother Dudeman here was relaying from that vision of the Lord is the same thing the Bible's saying, is that in this hour, this is not a time to decide that I want to go experiment with the things of the world. This is not a time to say, you know what? I've never been much of a drinker, but maybe I should go try a beer. I told my children flat out. I said, your father was an alcohol or was a drug addict and had addiction. You have a line lineage of addictions through your family. You don't get the option to go and experiment because once that door is open, <laughs> once that door is open, you will not close it. Now, my children were free to make their own choices. You know, and and they can do that. And I'll thank God that they've made good choices. But I warned them that they come from a lineage of addiction. And if they open that door, this will be their reward. Folks, the only reward the devil gives is death. That's your gift. He does. He will reward you with something and it will be death. And then the lake of fire, which is the place where God destroys the soul forever in the lake of fire. And that's what he talks about, that the only fear we are to have in this last day is the fear of the Lord, which we talked about on the last program. If you didn't hear that about the Lord's treasure, um, it is his fear. Got to go back and listen to it. It's amazing. It's the biggest gift God ever gave us was the fear of the Lord uh, in this modern hour. And and he will bless you with that fear because it is amazing what it does. But this Amen. is the point to try to encourage you. Let's get focused back on Jesus. Go ahead, Dad. Frank, I want to... I want to um, relate something that was critical for me. Uh, first of all, a, a lot of people I've heard it said, heard them say many times that, you know, I read my Bible and I just don't understand. I will, uh, I will ponder it. Uh, I get sleepy. It's just not coming through to me. And I had experienced the same thing myself. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with this text, I want to give it to you right now, and then I want to speak to it for a moment. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through sixteen. If you will read this prayerfully, then it will. It's a very important part of this growing closer to God, understanding more. It tells us that if we want to understand the things of God, the deep things of God, that they must be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We can read them in the Word, and we should read them in the Word. And we should always precede the reading of God's Word by prayer, asking for the Holy Spirit to lead us into wisdom and understanding about what we're reading. But it tells that it's only understood by the Spirit revealing it to us. Now listen carefully, please, because I'm going to go right along with that line. I can't teach you the things of God. Your pastor cannot teach you the things of God. Your brother, your spouse, no one can. The Holy Spirit must reveal to you the things of God. This is the integral part of that growing deep relationship with God. Now, if you have, if you are hearing what we're talking about tonight, and perhaps you've heard many of these things from in other places, or you've heard Frank talk about them in the past, and you're saying to yourself, but 
but I've tried and I just not, it's, I'm just not, I, I, something's missing. I would like to challenge you to do this, to go start someplace in the word, wherever you're comfortable with. Prayerfully ask the Lord to guide you to send his spirit for wisdom and understanding of what you're reading. And then do this, Lord, please reveal yourself to me. I can promise you, if you ask that, if you mean it, if you really want it, it's a guaranteed he'll do it. It's one of those things that he never holds back on. He will do it because he wants it too. His word testifies to that. And when you ask for his will to be done and it's his will, it happens. That's one of those things. It's going to happen. You ask done. Guaranteed. He will reveal himself if you want him to. And that's so very, very important. Remember, we get a free choice for all of this stuff. There is no such thing as a compromised reading of God's word where it's compromised, where he said, yes, it's free, but nah, you're going to have to do it my way. No, until the end, you have a free choice. You have freedom to choose this. If it's something you think you want, go for it. Because you'll never know until you try it out. Try on the Lord. I remember when he said, now regarding tithes, which this talk is not about tithes, but he said, uh, repeat it, right? Yeah. He, he said about bringing it into the storehouse to test him if he wouldn't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we couldn't even receive. That's right. And he asked us to test him. Well, I want to say, I think I can do this legitimately. Do you think I can? I want to say, test him. Ask him to reveal himself and see if he won't. It, you can you can test the Lord because he asked you to test him. That's right. Now, folks, one of the things I wanted to say, Dad is absolutely right. The Lord will give it to you if you want to reveal. But now let me give you one little caveat. God will make sure you want to stick with this thing. So if it's a one-time in, Lord, reveal it to me. Read it through once. Didn't get it. I'm shutting it. I'm done. God doesn't speak. Good point. You got to read this thing over. I remember one time, Dad, I went to a, I was a new believer, and, and uh, Dad, you were the one who always stood beside me when people would shoot me down, think I was crazy, send the pastor after me because they thought I'd went off the deep end. Do you remember that, Dad? Well, They're, many more than once. Yeah. <laughs> the, the family thought I was crazy at times because I was so zealous for the Lord. And, um, but there were, there was a particular friend of mine. She went to a church at, and, uh, they were very dogmatic over certain things, and, and I was – they tried to challenge me on a certain thing, and I, and I was for sure I was right. But then I said, well, Lord, maybe I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, I wanted to know it. And I went after and I started seeking the Lord with all of my heart on this particular understanding, and it was about gifts of the Spirit and things like that and and uh, some different – you know, if, if the if the gifts of the Bible were still alive today and, and different things. And, and I was a new believer, and they, they kind of squashed my faith for a minute. And I remember going after God. I wanted to know the truth. And I kept reading and reading and praying and seeking him, Dad, like I'd never sought him before. And I was reading through the scripture in the same place where I was trying to tell them this is where it says it. And they didn't, they weren't getting it. They wrote another paper to try to counteract me. And I mean, they tore me up and everything. They were like, I told my friend, next time I come over, I'm going to wear my shark suit, right? Because they were just biting on me and everything. They were trying to, but the Lord would sustain me and defend me as a young believer and give me the scriptures to respond back with. It was amazing. But all the sudden I was just so intense and I was seeking God. And I was pleading that he would show and dad out of nowhere, the Lord opened up my eyes and I read the same scripture and right there underneath was the answer. And I'm not kidding you. I began to shout and I started to jump up and down and I was shouting. I understood why David danced before the Lord that day. Yeah. Amen. Because I was so filled with the spirit that the Lord opened up and showed me the truth and revealed to me right there. And he solidified what I believed was true, but now I knew it for fact on the scripture. And it right there it was, I wrote a paper, gave it to them and they didn't even want to read it. But you know what? I was satisfied because God answered my prayers. That's right. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of people waver on belief about God and various things about him. But I want to testify personally and with what Frank is saying that the real faith, the real knowing that what you believe is true, it does not just come from words. It does not just come from any particular thing. 
It comes from experiencing the presence of God. I've had people ask me before, well, how do you know the Bible is true? I say, because I have experienced what he says in there. That experience makes it so true in my heart that you can't turn me from knowing that it's true. I could still choose to go down the wrong path and seek the world and I could be lost. But I know because I know because I experienced it. And that's what I say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And when you begin to experience him in his life and he reveals to you, and I mean, what happens is your faith and trust in the reality of him and his faithfulness, it shoots through the roof. And then all of a sudden, you're in that world where you realize that I know that I know that I know that this is the God that I'm looking for. Amen. You know, Dad, at closing here on this program, I wanted to say something. And folks, this is true um, from the bottom of my heart. Dad, there were times when I would get so angry um, after you had your conversion, you know, because we went from one way of life to another way of life really quickly. <laughs> and, um, you know, yes. it went from the wild times to church all the time to and, and uh, you know, no longer doing this, that and the other and and uh, ha- having people over and singing songs and all these things. I was like, oh, this is so lame. Right. And then as I grew up, though, you know, you wouldn't let me you didn't want me to listen to certain types of music. And remember getting so angry on trips Dad, I'd throw my tapes out the window and be yeah, so mad at you. And, and but here's the thing Dad, I was always thankful for. I didn't like it at the time. But you never compromised for me to continue to live the life I wanted to live. You loved me, you stood by me, but you never compromised your belief system in order to facilitate my lifestyle. Dad, I will be eternally grateful to the Lord first and to you for never giving up on me, for praying through all those years and for allowing me to find out who Jesus truly was. And I had so many people who supported me in a life of sin, but you dad always stood against it, but you still loved me anyways, but you never compromised. And folks, I'm telling you right now with your own children, don't compromise your belief. I'd like to say something else about that, and, and I, I'm I'm very thankful for our relationship, and I'm I'm very thankful that um, that the Lord has provided so much to all of us and our families and our children, and and I, I and whether you realize it or not, there are people near you who have experienced the Lord, and it has turned their lives around, and it's such a fabulous thing. But I was at church, uh, this is several years ago, five, six, maybe seven years ago, and this one mother walked up to me and she said, this is what's going on with my daughter, and I, she wants to do this, and I feel this way, and, I, and, and she says, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, let me suggest to you this, no matter what it is, do what you believe in your heart is right. Just do what you believe is the thing to do, the right thing to do. And you see, without going into it deeply, the, the, the scriptures tell us that the Lord really values an honest heart, sincerity. He doesn't like liars. He says those don't fit in. But he, he really values honesty and sincerity. And if we are true to what we believe, it is valuable to the Lord because that's the kind of person he can work with and lead them closer. And this is the kind of person that he can bring on into eternity. Mm. Amen. And folks, you know, it, it all started with the turnarounds and family. And I'll just, you know, I get, I'm blessed right now. Dad's here. Um, family's here. My sister's here. Um, she's up sleeping right now already. Um, she's going on right now three years being out of prison. And I believe it's three years. And I was talking to her the other day how proud I am of her being sober and clean and how all the bad things we used to do. But yet now God has given us second chances. And, Dad, you had to endure the brunt of a lot of crazy 
things we did growing up. Um, but you never gave up and you started praying and, you know, folks, they began to ask God to forgive them for the things that they had passed on to their own children. And, and this all started with an aunt of mine who was reading about Job and how he would make sacrifices for his children, whether they had sinned or not. And then read in the 10 commandments where I'll pass the sins of the father onto the son, and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we started to see pat, they started to see patterns that had been formed. Uh, through the family and because they would get together and dad right and you would ask other you would say lord forgive us for the things that we've passed on to our own children bring them to our memory so that we can bring them to you lord for repentance and that our children our families can be healed my wife and i prayed that for years and we we prayed it with groups of other couples who have children and there you know Prayer, when we go to the Lord seeking to, you know, let me say this. First of all, most of the time, the Lord speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer. There are exceptions, but most of the time. It's a two-way conversation. If we only pray, we're doing all the talking. God can't get a word in edgewise. We need to read his word also, but we go to him and we, we go to him in our honesty and our sincerity, seeking him, and he responds by revealing himself to us. It changes our lives. And we know that it's good and we know that it's right because we've experienced him. It's built in that way. It, it, you know, it, God's creation is such a relationship creation. Think about it for a moment. Does the Lord reach people usually by flashing down to them with a bolt of lightning or something, or like he went to Saul on the road to Damascus? No. He uses people to reach people. Most people first meet Jesus through another person. He made it that way. He made it so that when you uh, when you seek to bless someone else, it reacts in a blessing on you. It changes you some, and we need those changes. That's what leads us into the person that can that can be can be joyous and enjoy eternity. There were years, folks, where I loved my dad, but I didn't want to be around as much because he was a total buzzkill. Because he didn't want to do the things that he, that I wanted to do. And I wanted to be with my friends where I could get high, get in fights and do all these things. Um, but you know what? After I met Jesus and got to know the Lord, my father on this earth, you know, the earthly father is my best friend on this earth. And dad, I couldn't ask for a better friend in the flesh than you. And you're the one person I can always share no matter how bad or good or what I'm struggling with or what's on my heart. Because dad and I, we both are always constantly contemplating a million different things. <laughs> and we come to each other, we share them with each other. And we've been blessed. And no matter all Amen. the bad things that have been going on and the dysfunctions of our families growing up. And folks, listen, you're, you're, you're sitting here talking to two guys and no dysfunction. God was merciful and saved our family. And I'm so thankful for it. And folks, Amen. he is not done saving people yet. He is in the business. Yes. I've shared with you about my cousin, David, that you all have been praying for coming to the Lord after years of suffering addiction like the rest of us. God is moving. He he He's living down close to dad now and uh, sees dad a lot. And isn't it awesome, dad, what God's doing right now? Yeah. He, he I love it because it seems like he's slapping the devil right in the face. And all those who look unsavable, the Lord's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so I want to give you encouragement as we close tonight that if you think you've sinned too much, you have not. Right. If you think you've done the unpardonable sin, you have not because the unpardonable sin is totally misunderstood. I, I've shared it on this program before and it's ridiculous. I don't want to get into it now, but anybody who is willing to repent and come back to the Lord, his arm is not too short 
that he cannot save. Amen. This is the hour. A collapse is coming. There is a call to war. There will be destruction of the United States, and yet God will be on the throne the entire time, and his people will be taken care of. And if your call might be a call to the sword and to martyrdom, then it doesn't matter. If you're with Jesus, that's your call. And if your call is to do to leave this country, it's okay because your call is with the Lord and that's fine. And if your call is to stay here and minister until the end, it's okay. No matter what, just do whatever God tells you to do, but don't make a decision in this hour in your own flesh. Let the Lord reveal it to you. If you're thinking about leaving, wait till he tells you. If you think he's laid it on at your heart, then ask for a second witness. It's a legal precedence to ask for two witnesses because the Bible says out of the mouth of two or more witnesses shall all things be confirmed. If God is telling you believe he's asking you to make a major decision, ask for a second witness. It's biblical. It's okay. And God will give it if it's what he wants you to do. He stated in his word, folks, we are coming to the very end. I feel so blessed. We're all looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, but we need to endure until he comes and it will be by his power and through his grace and mercy. Dad, would you close us out with prayer? Our father in heaven. Thank you for being here with us, and thank you for being with every person listening this evening. Um, Lord, we have so much we can thank you for, but I just want to say I praise you. I thank you for being a God of chances, another chance, another opportunity. You never stop calling. You say you will be with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You will be with us until the end. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Brother Frank and the other Brother Frank, my father, on the Remnant Call, saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. Lord, trumpet in Zion.